Everyone stand and give God a praise tonight. Just to give God 10 seconds of praise. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you honor him. Tell him how much you welcome him here tonight. Praise him like you mean it. Praise him like you're desperate tonight. Like you want a move of God tonight. Praise him like you can't wait to get into his presence tonight. Lord, we worship you and we praise you tonight. Lord, we welcome your presence here tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of God tonight. You might be seated if you can. Because I believe that there are some people here tonight who are hungry for a move of God. I believe that there's some people who came in here tonight that you better watch out and you better get out of their way because they came desperate for a miracle tonight. See, I don't want to hang around with people who just go through life just hoping things happen or, or just kind of coasting through life. I want to hang out with desperate people. I want to hang out with people who say, get out of my way because I'm getting to the altar. I'm not letting anything stand in my way until I get into the presence of God. How many of you are desperate in here tonight? I am desperate to see a move of God. See, you need to watch out tonight because God told me to get up at 5 o'clock every single morning and pray. And so I am awake before the world starts moving in the morning, crying out for a move of God. And I happen to believe that if God tells me to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, it's because he's got a reason for it. That he's got a purpose for it. That it was, had you on his mind when he said pray. So if you come in here tonight and you're expecting a miracle, then a miracle is going to take place in your life. Because expectancy is the birthplace of a miracle. And God is here tonight. He showed up before you even showed up tonight. He was here. So many times we come into the house of God and say, God, we want you to meet us here. And he's saying, I've been here the whole time. I'm waiting for you to meet me here. See, his presence is moving through this place tonight. This is a seedbed for revival. This is a house that is ripe for the harvest. And you better get ready to lose your seat. You better get ready, ready to lose your parking space because God is about to open up the windows of heaven and he's going to shine a light down on this place and people are going to be lining the streets to get in and you're going to have to move over for the lost to come to know Christ. We are so excited to be here and to be a part of a church, to have to relationship with your pastors. They are gifts from God to us. You are gifts to us, and we are just honored to be a part of it. But I'm here to talk to you tonight because I'm tired of going around from church to church to church to church, from revival to revival to this to that to looking for revival to take place. And God is telling us tonight, quit looking for revival because we are revival. We are what the world is looking for. We have the answers to what they are looking for. And you can search the world over for your concept of revival, but until there is a fire that takes place in your spirit, you will never see it take place. Because God is saying, I have put a fire inside of you, and it is up to you to begin to blow on it, to begin to fan it, to begin to make it burn with such a power, such an authority to burn it to the point that it consumes everything in your path. I am ready to see something that I've never seen before. But in order to do that, we've got to do something that we've never done before. We've got to go deeper than we've ever gone before. And we've got to be willing to stay there longer than we've ever stayed before. See, what is keeping you from your encounter tonight? 
What is stopping you from encountering the presence of God? See, I hear people all the time, I just need the right chord to be struck on the music. I just need for the right tweet to come across my Twitter feed that tells me of a powerful quote that I can get in my spirit. I need the right sermon to be preached, the right quote to be said from the pulpit. I just need the right moment for the right preacher, for the right this and the right that. What is keeping you from your encounter tonight? See, what is keeping you from moving into the presence of God? See, what if I told you, you're waiting on tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a better day. Tomorrow will be the day that I give my heart to God. Tomorrow will be the day that I get the, the secret sin out of my life. Tomorrow will be the day that I let go of the bondage that has held me for years and years and years. Because tomorrow will be better. Today's not convenient for me. Today's not a good day for me. I'm having a bad day. See, there's so many things that keeps us from entering in, and we use tomorrow as an excuse to not receive our freedom today. See, tomorrow is the, the, is the elusive hope that what I've dreamt of, that what I've prayed for, that what I've hoped for might actually come to pass tomorrow. And God's here tonight to tell you your tomorrow is today. It's time to get free today. See, waiting for tomorrow is a way of putting off what God wants to do in your life that might actually cause you to have to make a change. That might actually cause you to have to go beyond your comfort zone. See, you've allowed tomorrow to become a thief of your moment today. See, I know this and I can talk about it with such boldness because I lived the whole first half of my life with tomorrow as my nemesis. See, saying tomorrow, tomorrow I'll step out into the unknown. Tomorrow I'll step out with boldness. Tomorrow I'll step out and I'll actually be who you called me to be tomorrow. Until one day I looked in the mirror and I looked at myself. And I realized that I was just a faded image of the person that God wanted me to be. See, God is calling you to something bigger. He wants to meet you here tonight. See, if you're waiting for tomorrow, then you've already missed out on your miracle. Because he has it for you today. See, Pat mentioned that we've been writing a book called Rebuilding the Altar. See, let me tell you something. You can't study the altar, and what it represents and what it really is in your life without being changed. You can't study this place of encounter, this place of change, this place of transformation without crawling upon it one day and saying, God, reveal to me what you want me to know. And he says, what I'm revealing to you is that I need for you to change. I need for you to do what I've called you to do. See, and in the new chapter, or in the new book that we wrote, there was one day that I was getting up in the morning, and I was supposed to go on a trip with Pat to minister, and our daughter got sick. And I stayed home, and God began to deal with me about something, and I said, God, I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on, on what might happen there at that church. Revival might break out there. And God confronted me in that moment in my spirit and he said what are you talking about you are revival he said where you go revival should go with you where you walk demons should be diving out the windows where you place your foot you ought to be taking ground because I have placed revival inside of you so if you miss out on revival it's because you weren't looking for it and you weren't preparing for it. See, in the chapter that I wrote, I Am Revival, see, I talked about there is one, only one place that will change you. There is only one place that will change everything, that will restore your joy, that will strengthen that which remains before it is lost. Only one place that will restore your peace, that will heal your body. Only one place that will renew your mind and transform your heart. Only one place that will bring you to the place where you can change the world. And that place is the altar. See, God is calling us 
to not just rebuild the altar across the nation. He's calling us to rebuild the altar in our own life, in our own home, in our own family. He's trying to teach us how to bring our children into an understanding of what the altar represents in their life. See, that place is the altar, and Jesus is our altar. See, can I give you a little history lesson? I don't want to sound like the teacher on Charlie Brown. But I just want to share with you, how many of you know that in the Old Testament, we had to go to the tabernacle, to the tent of meeting to meet with God? That we had to go to that place. We had to bring a sacrifice. We had to go into the, the place of the, the tabernacle, bring a sacrifice to the priest and have them lay it upon the altar. And as the, the burnt offering and the aroma would go up to heaven, then the presence of God would breathe down, consume the sacrifice and come to meet us in that moment. But see, how many of you know that the Bible says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us? See, that word also, there's a, a translation that says the word became flesh and it tabernacled among us. And that word tabernacle means to dwell among us, to live among us. The word became flesh. So, so God said that no longer could it be just the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. But there needed to be a spotless lamb. And so he sent his only son to earth, word made flesh. He breathed down on earth and gave us his son. And in that moment, the, the tabernacle came to us. No longer did we have to make the long trek, the long pilgrimage to meet God. But he sent his son. So no longer did we have to go to the tabernacle. The tabernacle came to us. And he lived among us. But here's what happened. He became our meeting place. He became the link between us and God. But when he went to the cross, he not only became our tabernacle, he became the offering that laid upon the altar. And when he gave his last breath and he breathed his last he blew his breath out among us, among mankind, and he said, I'm leaving with you the breath of God. And when we receive that breath of God, when we accept Christ into our life, then we possess the, the, the breath of God inside our hearts, and upon our hearts is the residing place for the presence of God. So no longer did we have to go to the tabernacle. The tabernacle came to us. The altar came, became our hearts because Jesus resides in our hearts, and he laid upon the altar. We possess the presence of God, so we are revival. See, we are revival in the land. See, I love it because today... No longer can we use the excuses of yesterday. Amen. See, today we lay aside and quit blaming everyone else for our lack of encounter with the Heavenly Father. See, we have to lay aside the excuses. I lived with excuses for most of my life, and Jesus showed me the excuses stop today. If you're going to have a move of God, then you've got to get up out of your pity party, and you've got to make the trek to the altar. See, the altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar's not just somewhere where you go and you, you get all your presents from God. It's not just a place where you go and say, I want, I want, I want. It, it's a place where you go and say, I give it all. I give my life. I give my dreams. I give my passions. I give everything to you. See, sometimes the altar will go, require you to go past your normal trail of tears into the marketplace of your next and your tomorrow. See, God is calling you out of your normal. See, can I share a story with you? I love reading the Word of God because I love how it applies to so much of our personal lives. I love this story because I can relate to this story. This story will be for the desperate in the room, the ones who can understand what it's like to have to fight for their freedom, to fight for their purpose, to fight for their tomorrow, to fight for their families. I love the Word of God. See, if you look in Luke 8, 46... Just this one simple statement just so transformed my life. It says, but Jesus said, someone touched me. Someone touched me. 
See, I've heard those words come down from heaven in my desperation, in my darkest moments, in my moments of despair and depression and discouragement, when I finally got up out of wallowing in self-pity and I made the trek to the altar and I finally reached out and say, I lay that behind because I'm not going back to it. I heard the Father say, someone touched me. And he's waiting for you to say, I'm here, Lord. See, he says, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. See, sometimes you've got to be willing to be the one that is ready to crawl through the crowd and interrupt the religious in order to get to the point to deal with your issue. See, for those of you who are ready for that tonight, I say, let's go. Let's get up. Let's get moving. Let's scuff our knees tonight. Let's break some nails tonight. Let's get on some demon nerves tonight. Let's get some demon meat on our swords as we get up and we fight for what's really important, and that is for lost humanity. See, for you, I say, get ready. Because I don't know about you, but I'm here to preach tonight. I'm not here to play games. I'm not worrying about stepping on toes tonight because I'm too busy stomping on the enemy. See, I don't care about being politically correct. I don't care about being culturally accepted. What I care about is if the words that are coming out of my mouth are speaking truth to bring deliverance to the lost and the hopeless. That's what I'm concerned about. See, there's a stirring in my spirit tonight. And there is a stirring in the atmosphere. Because I hear the sound of alarms going off in hell tonight when you decided to come out on a Saturday night and to say, I'm going to give up watching a game. I'm going to give up doing this. I'm going to give up doing that. Because the pursuit of the king is much more important to me. See, God says, I'm ready to do a new thing in your life. See, Satan doesn't want you to awaken to what God wants you to awaken to. He doesn't like what you're about to awaken to because he has enjoyed feasting on your flesh and tormenting your families for far too long. See, you're about to cause him to go on a hunger strike because you're about to starve the enemy out of your house because you're about to get rid of the things that have held you bondage. See, he knows that if he holds you back, then you will never go public with your testimony. See, today I declare, devil, you didn't make me and you can't break me. See, today I declare that the enemy has no hold on us anymore because you are called to stand up at some point in your life and say, just like my shirt says, I am revival. I am the answer to what's going on. I have the ability, because Christ lives inside of me, to walk into a room and to bring, to bring life, to turn on the light in the middle of the darkness and to say, darkness must flee in Jesus' name. See, suddenly, that moment you realize that there's got to be more, that moment you realize that power will flow out when you reach out and touch him. But let's go back to the story. Back to that moment, because back to a moment in time where a woman was cast aside by society, a moment where a woman felt worthless, that every day she was reminded of her worthlessness. Every day she was reminded that she had no future. She couldn't go public. She couldn't go out in public. She couldn't be touched. See, because her body and her issues declared that she was a neon sign of embarrassment and of shame. See, how many of you have walked through some things in your life? How many of you have walked through some issues in your life that the world would love to put you in a box, would love to put a label on you and say that you are worthless, that it's over for you, that you've done too much, you've gone too far, you can never amount to anything. But God says, I'm about to shatter your box tonight, and I'm about to show you that you're going to live out a testimony of purpose and about pursuit of his presence. See, God wants to show you tonight that he loves you and that he cares about you. See, this woman is mentioned three different times in the Bible. She's mentioned in Matthew. She's Matthew 9, in Mark 5, and in Luke 8. She's mentioned three different times in the Bible. So clearly, the writers of the gospel wanted us to know her story. See, clearly, they were trying to show us something deeper than just a cute little story. 
See, they wanted us to see that what's in us is powerful. What God has placed inside of us, it kind of brings the scripture to life that says, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. When you truly understand that, it's not just something we teach our children in children's church. It is a powerful fact that if you truly grasp what is inside of you, you will never be the same. See, over her house was a neon sign that declared unclean. Some of you have been declared over. Some of you have had words spoken over you. And you think that you can never go beyond those words. You think that you're stuck in those words. But God says, get ready, get ready, get ready. Because I'm about to do something in your life. See, Luke 8, 43. See, see what I want you to know is because this woman had been told her all this time how unworthy she was, how unclean she was. But let me tell you something. We all have a story. We all have a story. We all have messed up stuff in our life. We all have things we'd rather go back and change. But can I tell you, at some point in your life, your story has got to become your testimony. See, Luke 8, 43 says, And a woman was there who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could help her. Do you understand that? 12 years. Years. That number 12 is the number of completeness. But this woman had been suffering for 12 long years. How many years have you been suffering with your issue? How many years have you been suffering with the bondage that the enemy has held you to? How many years have you been locked in a prison of fear and not been able to get out? But here's what I want you to know. She lived with this problem, with this issue for 12 long years. Everyone around her knew about the issue. Everyone was affected by the issue. How many of you know that when, when people come up, there's some people in your life that when you walk up to them and you ask them how they're doing, their issues just begin to spill out all over you. You can walk up to them and say, how was your day? And they just begin to throw up their issues all over you because they haven't come to a place of freedom in their life. They haven't come to a place of realization that what has been holding them bondage can be delivered in Jesus' name. See, what is in your life that is spilling over into everyone you come in contact with? But see, her issue spilled out uncontrollably, controllably, and tonight Jesus wants your bleeding to stop. He wants the bleeding in your life to stop. See, the law declared in Leviticus 15 gave strict orders that she not be touched. This woman could not be touched, and she couldn't touch anyone else. She couldn't go to the house of God, and the house of God couldn't go to her. She couldn't go into the presence, and the presence couldn't go to her. Because, see, she was considered a pariah to society. See, there was a war going on for this woman's destiny. See, listen to me tonight. Because the enemy knows that the edge of your tomorrow is at war with the issues of your day. Of your today. And it's time to confront your tomorrow mentality today. See, Satan decided a long time ago that he would trap you into thinking that tomorrow would be the day that you would get free. To trap you into the prison of saying that I'm not worthy. See, do you realize that the attack you have been under is the enemy's way of keeping you out of the public arena of purpose? See, when will we realize as a church that we must learn once again to fight on the outside what is determining our freedom on the inside? See, there was a war going on in the heavenlies for this woman's purpose. See, I just want you to know that the enemy does not care about what happened to you back there. The enemy does not care about what happened to you when you were a child. He doesn't care about the failures that you did last week. He doesn't care about the mistakes that you did last month. Because if he can get you caught up and trapped in the memory of yesterday, you will never step forward into the purpose of tomorrow. See, he doesn't care about what happened in the past. We care about what happened in the past. But what he's afraid of is that tonight in this place, in Locust Grove, Georgia, that your eyes might be open, that you would totally see who God has called you to be because he is afraid of who your future, of what you can be in your future. 
See, there is a war going on in the heavenlies, fighting not only against all things Jesus, but also fighting against your destiny, the destiny that Jesus has prepared for you. I love what Ephesians 6.2 says. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. See, I want you to know that there is a war going on in the heavenlies for, you, for your, dirt, your purpose and your destiny. But I have to warn you because tonight I'm ticked off. Can you tell I'm ticked off? Because I'm ticked off at the enemy holding God's people hostage to the pain of their past. See, I'm angry that the enemy has convinced the children of the firstborn that we don't have access to the table of the king or the fountain of joy or the freedom of the cross. He's got you blinded to your pain so that you never see your purpose. See, how has he done it? He's done it with a, with a weapon called lethargy, an oppressive mindset that has called us to just merely survive when you were made to thrive and you were called to do more than just arrive. You were called to conquer and to possess the gates of your enemy. You were called to trample on the enemy's head. You were called to take back your children out of the enemy's grasp. You were called to take back a generation that has been lost. You were called back to take your marriage and take your health. You were called to bring freedom to the captives. See, I love it because the prophetess and warrior Deborah understood this in Judges 5 when she sang, May all your enemies perish like this, O Lord, but may those who love him rise like the sun when it rises in full strength. See, Daniel understood it after fasting for 21 days, and the Lord looked to him and said, he said, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand this and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. He said, And I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. See, there's been a war going on for your behalf. See, some of you are sitting around saying, God, where are you? God, why haven't you shown up? God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you intervening? And God's saying, open your eyes and join the battle. Join me at the altar because there's a war going on and for your life and your salvation. See, I love it because God wants you to know that he has a purpose in your life. See, your purpose, the war you are experiencing is bigger than your mirror of pain tonight. See, it's not until we stop looking in the mirror at ourselves and start looking out the window of humanity that we begin to see our miracle in the horizon. See, we get so caught up at looking at our own pain. We get so caught up looking at our own problems, looking at our own issues, that we fail to see the world around us, that it's not just about us. It's not just what's going on about us because the enemy wants to keep you blind and keep you distracted so that you'll never realize that you have power to intercede, to intervene, to go into war, to go into battle, to suit up in your armor and say, I'm not going to die like this. I'm not going down like this. I'm not going out like this because I'm going out with a fight because let me tell you something I would rather go out of this world fighting for freedom than to live in this world in desperation and in bondage and in pain see I'm not going out without a fight see it's time that you get out of the prison called you're not worthy because let me tell you something, when you begin to tell people that there is a place of freedom, when you begin to tell people that there is a place of hope, a place of healing, a place of deliverance, then all hell is going to come against you. Because when Pat and I began to write this book in October, everything came against us. My husband lost his voice for six weeks. He struggled for a voice. Six weeks he would go in and preach, and during the week his voice would be okay. And then the moment he would go to preach, the enemy would be like he would just put a vice around his neck, trying to silence the voice of freedom, trying to silence the voice of truth. My health got attacked. Every part, everything that could come against me. Our daughter found out that she was losing her hearing. The enemy does not want you to tell the truth. He doesn't want you to tell people that there is a place of hope and a place of life that they can go to. But I'll never forget because everything was attacking us. And one night I was laying in bed and I was praying and God gave me a vision. And in that vision, my husband came home from a trip. And he was laying in bed next to me in this vision. And all hell was coming against us. And in that moment, 
Pat looked up into the heavenlies, pointed his hands up at his finger in the heavenlies and said, I break the spirit of darkness. I bind up the spirit of darkness. Cast it out in Jesus' name. It has no hold on us. I speak to the, the principalities of darkness and tell them to leave. And in that moment, I thought, God, what was that? This vision that you've given me. And the very next day, he came home and we began to talk about the attack that it took place. And all of a sudden, he put his finger up into the heavens and he began to declare against all the principalities of darkness. And I stood there and I said, could it be that there was a war already going on and God was showing me, you're not fighting by yourself. I've already began the war. It started way back there, but you're just now catching up and I am doing war on your behalf. See, the daily visit from the priest told this woman that she was unclean, that she was off limits. Every day she was reminded that she had no future, she had no tomorrow. She lived in a house of pain, all the while looking out a window of shame of her past. But see, culture has determined, listen to me, culture has determined that your value is set by those who never paid a price for you, who never purchased you. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus took you off the auction block. He purchased you. He gave the ultimate price that you don't have to go back and live the same old way. See, 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, it's time to say I'm a temple, not a shack. Take the for sale sign down. I'm not going back. Enemy, you can't touch me. You have no hold on me because I am walking out my freedom on a daily basis as I visit my God at the altar of change, at the altar of purpose. See, in fact, you will never understand your worth till you realize what has been placed inside of you. See, God has already spoke your identity over you. I'll never forget one time when Abby was in second grade and Pat went to pick her up from school. And she got in the car in second grade and she looked at him because in second grade you hear all kinds of things. And she looked at her daddy and she said, Daddy, am I pretty? And of course, she's the most gorgeous thing that's ever walked the face of the earth. She's my child, but still. But Pat looked over at her and he recognized that this was something more than just a statement. He recognized that this was a battle for her identity. And he looked at her and he pointed at her and he began to speak life over her. He began to speak truth over her. He began to tell her that she was a princess, a champion, a warrior, that God had plans for her, that she was a princess, that God had called her to change the world. And in that moment, he broke all the lies of the enemy off of her. And she has been using that moment to transform lives. See, let me tell you, it's time that we break the words that the enemy has placed over us. We must teach a generation who they are before culture tells them who they are not and who it wants them to be. It's time to break the lies. of the. I'm tired of seeing a generation held captive and being kidnapped by the lies of the enemy. See, I'm tired of it. Romans 12, 1 says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you. This is Romans 12.1. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. He says, I'm bringing you on a journey. I'm taking you from point A to point Z, and I'm going to take you into a place of freedom so that you can bring as many people as you can along with you. See, recently God began to stir in my spirit, and I heard him saying, if you knew who I was in you, then you would never be the same. He said, why are my people searching for what I have already given them? 
Why are my people in search of something, something to bring them hope, something to bring them peace, something to bring them deliverance when I have already breathed that into them? I have already given them the authority. See, if you ever could really understand in that moment, I had to say, God, could it be that we have missed something important in your word? Could it be that we have missed something in your scripture to realize that when we received your breath from heaven, that we began to have all healing, all authority authority, all power, all deliverance, that we can look at the enemy and say, uh-uh, not today, not in my house, not in this moment. I have the authority to kick you out in Jesus' name. See, could it be that we are revival? See, Romans 8, 9 says, the Spirit of God lives in you. And it says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that lives in you. See, Acts 17 says, in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. Could it be that we are the change that the world has been waiting to experience? See, I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel saved sometimes. When I wake up in the morning, I don't feel very victorious in the morning times. See, but there's a moment that comes when my eyes begin to open and my spirit begins to open to the presence of God. And he says, but honey, listen to me. In me, you live. In me, you move. In me, you have your very being. It's not about you. It's about what's living inside of you because you don't have what it takes, but I have given you what it takes to make it. See, could it be that if we actually activated our faith, actually believed this word, that miracles would happen? Jesus said in John 14 that on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. See, it's time that we realize if he's in me, and Jesus is in the Father, and he's in me, and we're all together, we're walking around, it's time to have a praise party, because I'm realizing that when I walk out my door, I'm not by myself, I've got my posse with me, and I can walk into the fire, I can walk through the valley, I can walk through the darkness, and I can say, it's okay, it's all right. Because I've got my father with me. See, I can't settle anymore. You can settle if you want to. But I'm not settling anymore because one day this woman heard that Jesus was coming by. See, one day when she was standing in her prison, when she was standing in her cave, her cave of darkness, she heard somebody run by her window, her open window of her bathroom, and she heard them say, Jesus is coming. See, I don't know about you, but I need to hear Jesus is coming. And you may be in darkness tonight, but I'm here to tell you Jesus is coming tonight. He's here to meet you. See, this was a Matthew 25, 6 moment that says, at midnight the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but there were ten virgins waiting on the bridegroom. But only five were ready when the bridegroom showed up. Can I tell you all ten virgins were called? All ten virgins were pure. All ten virgins were called to meet the bridegroom and to be a part of the wedding party. But let me tell you something. Only five of them were prepared. Only five of them were in pursuit. Only five of them had a desire to know him. Only five of them said, I'm going to plan. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to meet him. I'm going to have everything in place. I'm going to have everything in ready. What are you doing in pursuit of your king? See, so often we miss our breakthrough because we have determined that we can't break away from the busyness that has kept us from being free. But she knew she had to get to Jesus. See, let me tell you something. In a day where we have to gimmick people to get to church, in a day when we have to, to give your child a prize to get you to come to church on Sunday, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes tonight. But in a day when we have to bring pizza into youth group to get you to get your kid here, or we have to offer a coffee bar and a free lunch to get you to show up at church. Let me tell you something. I don't care about the coffee bar. I don't care about the pizza. I don't care about the prize. I want my family at the altar of change. I want my family transformed and saved. I don't care about what you have to offer. I care about what he has to offer. 
See, remember, this woman was broke. She had no money, and no one could help her. See, Mark 5 says that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, and not one of them could help her. But she needed a breakthrough. See, she didn't need another report from the doctor. She didn't need another naysayer coming along telling her how bad it was. She knew how bad it was. See, she didn't need somebody coming along and telling her another bad diagnosis. See, her home was her prison, and her tomorrow was a faded dream. She knew the reality of her moment. She knew the reality of what she was living in. Have you ever needed a breakthrough? See, I'll never forget recently, Pat and I went, and some dear friends of ours, some pastors in, in Alabama, and their granddaughter had been diagnosed with a horrible, horrible sickness called Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's something that you never want to see. It's a sickness where your body literally burns up from the inside out and your flesh begins to melt off. Your eyes begin to melt. Everything begins to melt from the inside out. And I'll never forget because we went to the hospital to pray for them. They needed a breakthrough. They needed God to intervene. They needed God to do something. And we were going to offer prayer. We were going to offer our time in prayer with them. And when Pat and I walked into that little hospital room with that little eight-year-old girl that was fighting for her life, let me tell you something. The presence of God hit us in the face because over in that corner was a makeshift altar that her mom and her grandmother was sitting there and they were crying out to God for her because let me tell you something when you need a breakthrough you don't care what the doctors say you don't care what the naysayers say you say God your word said you can be made whole they were crying out for a miracle and that precious girl is on her way to total healing in a disease a sickness that takes the life of most who get it she is a miracle walking every single day, but it's because they said we will pray until, not till we're tired, not till we're fed up, not till we're disappointed, not till we think that there's no hope, not till the doctor says give up. We're going to pray until, because it's not over until God says it's over. And when he says I can heal, you better believe he can heal. See, in those moments in our life, worship becomes our nerve pill. See, you've got to worship your way into freedom. You've got to start thanking God before the miracle ever happens. See, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worry and pray. How simple is that? Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ replaces worry at the center of your life. Can I tell you a story of something that happened to me a little over a year ago? Skin cancer runs in my family. So I headed to the doctor because I had developed a sore on my neck that would not heal no matter what I did. It just kept coming back. It kept bothering me. So I thought, you know what? I'll go check it out. I'll get it froze off. It's no big deal. It's just a little piece of skin cancer. So I go into my dermatologist and I show it to her. And, you know, it's never a good thing when the first thing your doctor does is, oh, I'm like, really, did you have to do that with me in the room? And so she said, you know what, we're going to take a biopsy of that because that doesn't look good. That doesn't look like the other ones that you've come in for. And so I said, okay, it's no big deal. So she took a biopsy, and the biopsy came back, and she said, Karen, it's cancer. And I said, okay, well, we'll just freeze it off. And she said, no, you don't understand. This one's different. She said, it is cancer. And now the only decision to make is what course of action to take. You're going to have a scar across your neck because it's an end scar. We're going to have to cut it out and possibly radiation or chemo. And I said, okay. <laughs> so I drove home, and Pat was in his prayer room. And I walked into the front door, totally not what I was expecting from that visit. And I had a decision to make. Because the old Karen that lived her life in fear, that lived her life in doubt and insecurity, the old Karen who would have shrunk back and given up, she was lurking right there in front of me, saying, come on back over to the other side. Come on back over and, and visit me for a while. 
And I had a decision to make when I was standing there in front of that kitchen counter and I put my purse down and Pat came down and was asking me about the the appointment. But all I could do was worship. Because all that I could see was that Karen standing in front of me. And I thought, you're not taking over this time. You're not winning this time. Because I know what the word of God is. So here's what I decided to do as I stared that Karen in the face. I said, God, I praise you that you're a high God. Lord, I praise you that you're a loving father. Lord, I praise you that you are a mighty God, that you heal, that you deliver, that you set free. I thank you that you rescued me from what I'm looking across the room from. I thank you that you rescued me from a life of fear and anxiety and worry. I thank you for all that you've done for me. I thank you that you've healed me many times before. And I don't care if you never do another thing in my life. You have done more than enough. And I praise you no matter what the outcome is, no matter what I face. I give you all praise and all glory. And see, that prayer did not move God. It changed me. He changed me in that moment. And we got a call about three days later from the doctor, and she said, Karen, there was cancer. I'm telling you right now, there was cancer. She said, but there's cancer no more. And she said, I don't want to see you for another year for your checkup. And I said, good riddance to you. Because I don't want to see you. But see, there's a moment you got to praise where you should have died. There's a moment you got to dance where you should have given up. There's a moment where you got to praise where the enemy wanted it to be your last step. And you've got to say, it's here that I'm going to make a change. See, I'm here to tell everyone in here. I'm here to preach to everyone in here who has had just about enough, who's had it with the enemy tormenting them. See, Jesus told me to tell you that your faith has gotten his attention tonight. See, I'm here to tell you that your fear is about to become your gas pedal. Your misfortune is about to become your sermon. Your hurt is about to experience healing. And your issue is about to become your testimony tonight. See, we must crawl before we stand. And see, I want you to see this scene because in this scripture... Jesus was at the shore, and he was multitasking. He was ministering to the people. He was walking along, talking to people, touching people, and the crowd had become a mob. The crowd had begun to to press on him, to push on him. And see, can you see this little woman that had been suffering for 12 long years? Can you see her as she's looking out the window of her prison through the bars of lost hope? And she's saying, where is he? Where is he? Where can I find him? And she sees a crowd down the road, and here's what she does. She begins to be brave. And she walks to the front door of her prison and she pushes the door open. Putting everything behind that says, I can't be out in public. I can't be seen. I can't be touched. Can you see her? If she pushes through that door and she walks out into the crowd and everyone around begins to notice her because she doesn't fit into the scenario. She doesn't fit into the crowd around. She doesn't fit the narrative of what everything is supposed to look like. And she says, I've got to get to him. And people begin to whisper, isn't that, isn't that that dirty woman? Isn't that that man that we've given up on? Isn't that the woman that shouldn't be here, that shouldn't be touched? Isn't the woman that has done so much? Come on, honey, get away from that. It might be contagious. You might catch a little bit of what she has. See, everyone was looking at her, and she was pushing past the crowd, and she began to to crawl suddenly because everyone was looking. She begins to drop down, maybe acting like she dropped her earring or dropped something. She gets to the ground because she realizes that the view from the ground was better than the looks and the glances and the, the mocking from the crowd, and she begins to crawl through all the sewage, through all the junk, and she begins to push through, and in that moment, people are kicking her. People are pushing her. People are stepping on her. 
Her knees are beginning to bleed from crawling through the concrete and the ground and the gravel and all that's around her. And suddenly she realizes that in the distance she can see something because she begins to say, in that moment, I see something. I see my hope coming through in the distance. I see a light that's coming through. And she begins to whisper, just like Philippians 3, because I know this because I've done it so many times in my life. She begins to say, I'm forgetting, forgetting what's back there, forgetting that house back there. Forgetting the words that have been spoken against me. Forgetting the things that were done to me at 8 or 9 or 10 years old. Forgetting the things that I have seen. Forgetting all the junk. Forgetting all the pain. I'm going forward to my future. I'm leaving it behind. I'm letting go of offenses. I'm letting go of hate. I'm letting go of disobedience and all the things that have held me back. And I'm pressing through. And she begins to see a road because, see, she had studied she had had 12 long years in prison to learn the scriptures. And she knew that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a kosher Jew. And he wore a tallit underneath his, his robe. And that tallit is a prayer shawl. And it's also called the wings. Can you see where I'm going with that? Because, see, for 12 years, she had been locked in a prison. For 12 long years, she, had, she knew the Jesus that she was looking for. She knew there was a Savior coming. She knew that there was someone who could set her free. And she knew the Word because she had studied. And she was waiting on the Messiah. And she was reminded of Psalm 91.1 that says, Under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. See, she remembered Malachi that said the son of righteousness rising up with healing in his wings. See, she understood. See, some of you are walking through some discouragement tonight and you have been locked in your prison for a long, long time. But let me ask you a question. What have you been doing in the darkness that has prepared you for your prison break? What are you doing in the darkness that's preparing you for your breakthrough? Because you can sit and suffer. You can sit and wallow. Or you can get into the prayer closet and you can crawl on your knees and you can say, when it's time for me to get out of the darkness, Lord, I'm looking up and I'm going to walk towards the light because I'm not staying here anymore. Yeah. See, and she reaches out with her last little bit of energy and she reaches out through the crowd, through the junk, and she touches the hem of his garment. And see, some of you may think that she just wanted to touch his clothes. But it was his prayer life that she was tapping into. It was his connection with the Father that she was tapping into. See, and when she touched him, power shot through her like lightning. And it did something. She felt healing come through her body. Strength comes to her like lightning it shoots through her. And a voice thundered down from heaven that said, who touched me? Don't you know he knew who touched him? See, power had gone out from him. And that Greek word, power, is dunamis. And the word dunamis means dynamite. See, what had happened when she put a pull on his anointing, when she tapped into his relationship with the Father, an explosion took place in the spirit, and it blew out the disease, it blew out the junk, it blew out the enemy out of her life because she knew what she was touching. He said, who touched me? See, I love this because her vision for a better tomorrow had been blinded by the illness of her today. But it was her sudden faith for something greater that led her to encounter the miracle of wholeness. See, she was an anointing thief. <laughs> Don't you love that? She was an anointing thief. I love it because my, my husband always says that we are mantle chasers, that we are chasing the mantle of God, that we are chasing after that. But I'll go even a step further and say that I want to be accused of shoplifting in the store called the anointing. I want to be accused of stealing the anointing, to robbing the anointing, to reaching out and taking hold of the anointing that God has for me. See, Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples were taken back. I mean, they were like, really? Really, Jesus? Because, see, I want you to know that everybody was touching him, and he is the all-knowing one. And I imagine that the disciples goes, um, Jesus, I mean, you are the all-knowing one. I mean, you see the crowd pushing around you. You see the crowd bumping into you. You see the crowd, and you're going to say, who touched me? I mean, actually, I touched you a few minutes ago. I mean, they were just so shocked that he would ask. And see, I would imagine, here's what I envision Jesus as. Because in my life, I have needed to touch him. 
And I have envisioned Jesus as he's walking through the town. He's strolling through town. He's got the crowd around him. He's got people pushing, people wanting to wanting something from him. They're wanting him to do this. They're wanting him to do that. And I imagine he's sitting there and he's going, she's going to be here in just a moment. I imagine he's going, you know what? I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to turn and talk to this person for a minute. I'm going to give her time to catch up. I'm going to give her time to get to me. I'm going to, because she's going to pull on the anointing. She's going to show people what real faith is like. She's going to do something that nobody's ever done before. She's going to show people the true power that God has that is in me that I can give her. She's going to reach out and she's going to get free. And I can't wait to see everybody's faces when she does it. See, I imagine that he was waiting for her. And he says, when everyone denied it, Peter asked, why would you say that? And Jesus said, because I felt power go out of me. See, Jesus recognized someone's faith had made a pull on his anointing, his very being. She left her home. She left her safe place. She left it. She had an I'm a get mine mentality. She said, I am going to get free tonight. See, I know a lot of people who bump into Jesus. I know a lot of people who come into church and bump into him on Sunday, but they never take him with them when they leave the building. They say, I just come in. I just want to run into him every now and then. But God says, I want you to touch me. See, we have to start pressing past the noise. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, stood up and told the truth. And Jesus looked at her and smiled and said, woman, thy faith has made you whole. Everyone stand with me, please. See, some of you are waiting on your breakthrough, but you have accepted just enough. But you are called to be revival. You'll never be revival until you stop looking out the window of pain and shame and open up the front door and crawl out. See, your, your faith will empower the next generation. See, some of you wake up in the morning time and you don't feel like getting out of bed. Some of you, every morning you wake up and the enemy's standing at the foot of your bed telling you all the things you've done wrong. I know that feeling. See, some of you have woke up in the morning and the enemy is looking at you and saying, you're a failure, you're a nobody. You don't come from a family of anything. You come from a family of nobodies. The enemy stands at your bed and says, you are not enough. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough brains. You don't have enough intellect. You don't have enough this. You don't have enough that. And you know what? There was one morning when the enemy was telling me those things, and I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to get up and face the day. And all of a sudden, something hit me. Power hit my body because I decided to reach out and touch the hem of his garment that morning. And I looked at the enemy that morning, and I said, you're right. I'm not enough. Enough, but I know the one who is more than enough, who has filled me up and filled my cup to overflowing. See, God wants to do a miracle, but see, what you don't understand is this woman interrupted someone else's prayer request. See, this woman, her faith would resurrect the next generation's faith. What you don't realize is that she had interrupted someone else because Mark 5 goes on to say, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded with him to go to his house because his little girl was dying. And Jesus said he would go with her, him. And that's where he was going when this woman interrupted but see, this was a priest, the priest who had stood outside this home every day and said, unclean, unclean. He had declared her unclean because he had lost his own faith. He needed a resurrection of faith before he could see the resurrection of his daughter. See, he was walking along. And this crazy woman had the audacity to interrupt the priest who had stopped by her house every day. The priest had a 12-year-old daughter who was sick. Are you getting this? This woman had suffered for 12 years. This little girl was born at the moment the woman began to die. See, Jesus was trying to show us something here. See, this little girl 
was on her deathbed, and now this unclean woman had determined that the had detained the religious and the righteous, and she gets healed. And see, but actually her miracle would cause faith to arise in a man who needed to see his daughter live. See, her, her bravery would cause someone else. Her bravery would so transform the crowd that the miracle would now take place in the life of this little girl. See, and it says that while Jesus was still speaking, the people came from Jairus' house and they said, Jairus, why are you even bothering him anymore? Your little girl is dead. Just leave him alone. And here's what Jesus did. I love this. And it's how I envisioned that it would take place because I imagined that he looked directly into Jairus' eyes. But he pointed at the woman with the issue of blood. And he said, do not be afraid. Just believe. See, I believe that he needed to see an awakening take place. The man who didn't have faith for her healing now saw her healing as a means for his daughter to be healed. See, your freedom will allow others to get free. And see, he went to the house and the first thing he did was put out the doubters, the mockers, and the naysayers. And he looked at this little girl and he said, Talitha Kun, which means little girl arrived. He looked around at everybody and said, she's not dead. She's just asleep. There's some of you in here that have been wrote off as dead. And Jesus says, uh-uh, not on my watch. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And he said, you may think you're dead. You may think the areas of your life are dead. You may think your marriage is dead. You may think your health is gone. You may think that you have gone too far. You may think that you can't make a return. You may think that you can't have a comeback. But he said, you've just been sleeping. It's time to wake up tonight. See, God wants you to know that that woman's altar was in the middle of the crowd. And he's saying tonight, there's an altar of change waiting for you. There's an altar of healing waiting for you.